unmistakable sound there of the uh, of the modern druids uh, thinking aloud. That's what they're doing. It's not just. Do you see what they've clever? It's like they're thinking aloud. I'm just thinking aloud, but also thinking is allowed. Are you with me? Well, I haven't been introduced yet, so I can't comment. Oh, sorry. <laughs> No, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to this giant maggot uh, with the face of Eamon Holmes. That's what I was. That's what I was talking to. That is the sound of, uh, and he loves a modern druid. It's Mister Ed Cavalier. Great to be here. Thank you for having me, there Ross. And straight away. For all of our UK uh, fans and for all your, your your UK fans that I've cl- glammed onto, we need to. We're going to try and put the video out. But Ross Noble, oh, there's a version of the One Show here in Australia, which is called the Project. Um, and Ross was on there last night doing some fantastic gear, and he managed to get. And this is at seven o'clock at night on primetime TV, mind you. A Hans Blix reference in the former UN's weapons inspector, and yeah. then he segued beautifully <laughs> into a human centipede gag, which was true. I was. I text you, I was that excited about it. Not only did you text me, you texted me while I was live on the... I was using my phone instead of my computer. I was using my phone and I was live on the television doing jokes about former UN weapons inspectors and all of a sudden it pinged up there and it went, oh, I've got a message and I couldn't actually see because the phone was that way on and and the text message... They actually blocked the screen that I was looking at. Good. <laughs> so, what I'm here so to do. Was, that was a bit of fun, you know. So um, We'll put that up. It was a tour de force. Excellent. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it sounds like I'm doing hard-hitting political satire from 15 years ago, but what I was actually seeing was <laughs> is that read your kids a story, just like little kids, you know, like we're talking under 10. Read your kids a story, and then you work into the story uh, a reference so what you do is you say uh, the gingerbread man left his house he looked over the garden wall who should he see but his next door neighbor former UN weapons inspector Hans Blix right and then and then you go he walked down the street you add that in yourself right now the child sometimes sometimes your kid will go what what was that? What was that? And then yeah, yeah, you just yeah, have yeah. to pass it off. You go, oh, his next door neighbour is a fellow called Hans right. Blix. He's uh, is a UN's weapons. Is what's a UN weapons in space? Yeah, basically, if they suspect uh, regimes of having uh, weapons of mass yeah. destruction, they'll send in a team just to check out. The, oh, okay, yeah. and then they'll move on. They'll think no more about it. Yeah. Cut to twenty years later. You know, your child is now. You know, she's in maybe she's at university or whatever, talking about you know studying uh, studying politics and that. And they go, and of course, uh, former UN weapons inspector. And there'll be a moment where the child goes, "Oh, Hans Blix," and the and the connection will be made where she'll go, "Oh, he was the next door neighbor of the gingerbread man." And then there'll be another <laughs> thought where she goes, "Oh, my bastard dad!" All this time. I thought the gingies you know I me. Mean? It's a twenty-year joke. It's wonderful. It's, yeah, it's a great joke. And have you done this? I'm assuming you've done this. I'm assuming that your that your kids are just laden 
like a sleeper cell, your kids or like the Manchurian candidate or the uh, or the Frankie goes to Hollywood DJ in Zoolander, they've just got all these trigger words in their head that they're not aware of that they're going to hear throughout their life. And yeah, I'm just racking them up. And uh, no, my favorite one is when I read uh, there's a Peppa Pig book where um, you could put your child's. So it's like your child in the Peppa Pig book. Gotcha. Um, so like, you know, a new kid comes to the school. Ah, right. So yeah, it's my, my favourite one is to read that. Um, and she's old enough now where she's outgrown that book, but I'll still read it because I... It'll be like, Willow's here, Is she's come to the school. And then, hello, Willow, hello, said Willow to Pepper. Pepper said, hello there. And then Willow said, why is everyone animals? Why am I the only child? Everyone. <laughs> and then and then I'll go. You're turning Pepper Pig into a Ken Loach <laughs> film. Just some gritty realism being dragged into the Pepper Pig world. And then I'll keep reading. And then on the next page, I'll just go. And then Madame Gazelle turned around and said, come on, Pepper, you can work with Willow. And Willow said, this Oh, this is a gazelle. Why is a gazelle telling us to do schoolwork? How does she even pick up the pencils? And then, and I know I'm also a big fan of uh, of making people um, fat shaming Daddy Pig as well. That's one of my favourite ones. Oh, that's funny because he gets a bad rap, Daddy oh, Pig. Oh, god, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So I do that, and then the other one as well, which. Uh, which I was talking about last night. Because this is the thing. I was trying to come up with things to talk about on the telly. And I just thought, I was literally sitting in the house and went, oh, I'll just talk about what I do. <laughs> so so the other one is to is to basically go on your partner's uh, Netflix account and um, just watch stuff that they would never watch just to throw the algorithm out. And what are some of the things you've done to your, like what are some of the things you'll throw up to to your partner just to really mess with her, her algorithm? Well, for, for comedic purposes, I said uh, Nigerian vampire films, Cuckoo Clock yes. documentaries, and The Human Centipede. Yes. Um, but in reality, I'll just put like, I'll do five minutes of like The Old God, and then, you know, or like Annihilation or stuff like that. And then she starts getting all that, you know. Um, and, and that's a good tip, actually. If you're, um, you know, if you're, especially if you're just starting in a, a relationship, <laughs> When you go, oh, what shall we watch? You know, what shall we, what Netflix shall we watch before we chill? Yes, chill. I'll ask you this, right? So if you pull up their profile, right, and it's very different from yours, it gives you the suggestion, you know, uh, trend, trend. Yeah, absolutely. Do you go on, do you go on her um, profile to see what the suggestions are? Or yes. Do you go on your profile knowing that the suggestions will be f like weighted in your favor? So in an act of defiance, um, my wife was sick and tired of me, quote, owning the algorithm. And so she joined us. She got rid of one. So she joined us. One day I went on the Netflix and it's now, it used to say Ed and Tiff and Arnold, our son, for kids. And now it just says Ed and Tiff, where she watches more than I do. So all of my desires and choices in life have been pushed so far down that I can no longer find them. So I'm only left with the things that she wants to watch. So hang on. So it used to be you had one each. Yep. Right. She amalgamated them somehow. Can't do any, the oh. text, not her thing, but she got it amalgamated. And now it's just because she watches it more than I do. It's just all her stuff. I want to ask you a secondary question. Go on. Net, so there's a famous story. I love reading stories about pitch sessions at Netflix yeah, because okay. they 
because there's a great one about Eli Roth, the uh, horror filmmaker. Yeah, Hamlock Grove. Was that the show? Uh, Yes, yes, yes. There you go. And then the Hostel movies and some other sort of, you know, violent stuff. Yeah. He tells a story that he walks into Netflix with his document. He's ready to go. He's going to pitch. He's going to wow them in the room. And he's ready to start his pitch. And they go, we'll stop you there. We've run the numbers. This is exactly how many people watch your stuff and exactly for how long. And at that, here is the price that you can have to make a film. You can say yes or no. And he just said he looked at one piece of paper and went, yep, and then just walked out. Really? Wow. And the same thing happened to Adam Sandler. You know, they made those deals with Adam Sandler. Yes. It was like six films for $6 billion or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. was entirely based on the fact that uh, all of those grown-ups movies and that type of thing was just absolutely huge around the world. Yeah. The same thing happened with Damon Wayans. I heard the producer of White Chicks. Come on. Yeah. He told a story that they'd been, you know, as, as the producer of White Chicks, he can't get that many meetings in Hollywood. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. But he wanders in there and they're like, why don't you come to us first? These are the countries in which Damon Wayans is through the roof. Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, da-da-da-da. You can make a film tomorrow if you want. Sweet. See you then. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's a great story. Have you heard about um, oh, Steve Carell and – was it? Is it not Adam McKay? Who did he make? Um, um, Greg Daniels. Oh, Greg Daniels, yep. Yeah, so Steve Carell went for a meeting and they went in there and they just said, uh, right, we want a TV show. Do you want to make Space Force? And he went, what, what is it? And they went, Space Force. That's the title. Make a show about Trump's announced there's going to be a Space Force. Do you want to make Space Force? So they just, so he rang up Greg Daniels and just went, do you want to make Space Force? And they went, yep. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> Yeah. Do you want to yeah. make Space Force? Yeah. And that, but you know what I love about it? I love the fact, like, obviously, like, you're talking about these algorithms, yeah. and that's, you know, you could look at it and go, that is, that is horrendous, no. the idea that it's entirely profit-driven rather than somebody, you know, somebody sitting right. there and going, oh, should we have a bit of this? Should we do some of this? Right, right, but right. Yeah. I love the fact. Just love the fact that it's almost gone back to the old days of you know people talk about like you know back in the sort of sixties and that at, at the BBC where you know the likes of Python would walk in and they'd just go right what is it and they'd go oh it's going to be some sketches and stuff and they go brilliant right six of those then and they just and they just go off and do it. <laughs> I've heard that story Cleese and Palin tell that story do you know any of those Python characters yeah a little bit yeah I've. Uh, now go on, give us a Python I, story. Oh, and your 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 little bits are always much more than that. Give us one. Give us one Python story. Come on. Oh, you see, what you've done is you've turned me into some sort of Peter Ustinov figure, where you just go tell us a show of his. Uh... <laughs> yeah, because you're not like that. That's why it's good. You're normally it's the opposite, where you're in LA and people are saying, "Yeah, I had a meeting with Spielberg yesterday," and then you find out they were behind. He was behind him in the Starbucks line. You're the opposite of that. You, you say a name to you and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I spent six months in a canoe with that man. <laughs> I've got... Uh, How was my Ross Noble, by the way, just then, I, my impersonation? I, I just I just moved over that. Um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> just let that go. I got a message from... Wow. Saying... Saw the project, loved the human centipede gag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said, love the human centipede. Um, I thought I'd chance my arm and I'd ask him if he wanted to be in this show that I'm getting off the ground. And uh, he says, uh, thanks, Ross. I have no interest in acting anymore. I'm writing. Sounds fun, though. <laughs> so, yeah. So I uh, I thought, oh, yeah, that'll do. He's like, I've got no interest in acting. 
Nah. What a great text. What a great response. <laughs> no, but you know what? I, like, I respect that. A hundred percent. Like, basically, I hate doing that. I very, very rarely do that. I Very rarely will I actually message somebody and just say, hey, uh, any chance would you fancy doing this? I just think yeah, yeah, always yeah. do it through the proper channels. Yep. I've done it maybe two or three times. And um, anyway, so yeah, and I just thought... This, I so put him on the spot. What a great thing. I'm not interested in acting anymore. Like, not, not, I'm not interested <laughs> in being in your thing. Oh, no. I have no desire. I'm not interested in any acting. So that's good. Um, oh, I told you that. I must have told you the Gilliam story. Surely the Gilliam story. Mm. Back when, so you know, following on from, we're going to run out of time for Shania again. So you know how I was t- telling you all the stories about the um, the warm-ups, doing the warm-ups? Yeah. Well, I did one where uh, Gilliam, Terry Gilliam, was was the guest on the show. All right. And uh, I knew this in advance, right? So I thought, right, I'll have some of this. So I got um, so I got a poster. I thought, right, let's have some of this then. And I walked up to him and he had been boozing. Oh my lord, he really? was properly on the booth. He was doing this massive, you know, press tour. Yeah, he needed to have a, yeah. a night, or you know, just like God, I need some relaxing. Yeah, and, and again, you know, similar. I would never. There was only twice I ever bothered the talent. Right, there was one time where I did a show. Ian Wright, the former footballer. God, he, yeah. No, 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 no. Oh. I didn't bother him. Oh, couldn't care less about football. Um, I mean, oh. he, no, no, t- to be fair, he is an absolutely lovely bloke. He's a lovely bloke. You know, I'm a huge football guy. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. He's, um, yeah. uh, he's into motorbikes. So, you know. Is we, he now? Oh, there's yeah. your, there's your so, link then. So, yep, yep. So yeah. Anyway. So, but I've no interest in football. Um, but he used to have a chat show, uh, the, um, the Ian Wright chat show. And I did that. I did a warm up for that. And one of his guests was, uh, which I cannot believe. You see, if I was king of the name droppers, I would have dropped it when we did the episode Wired for Sound. So Cliff Richard was... Uh, Whoa. <laughs> I forgot to... Whoa. Completely forgot to mention I'd met him. No. Yeah. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. So What did we do, 45 minutes? <laughs> and at no point did I say, oh yeah, I met him. <laughs> Um, oh, by the way, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so my mom's a massive Cliff Richard fan. So I I went up to Cliff Richard. I waited until afterwards. I said, "Excuse me, Sir Cliff. I'm very sorry to bother you, um, but my mother is your biggest fan. Would it be possible to get an aut- autograph? Those were the days when you got autographs. So would it be possible to get an autograph? No problem at all. Who is it? It's very lovely, very lovely man. Signed it to my mom. I mean, obviously, I don't think I don't think Ian Wright's demographic and Cliff Richard. I don't think there's a bit of crossover there. Um, oh, and so, well, yeah, I would say okay. that the the, the show was um, it was skewed. I mean, this was a long time ago, so it was very much skewed to a. a youth. He would have had he finished playing. Yeah, it was. A, it was a, a okay. So sort of like two thousands. Late 2000, early 2000s. Oh, maybe he's 90. Late 90s? Yeah, late 90s, I think. Okay, 99 so, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Um, so anyway, so Cliff was uh, very lovely, got an autograph. So I've, I did it once with him um, and uh, the aforementioned Tim Roth uh, as well. Yep. So I've done it yep. three times. Sorry, three times. Yeah, I was going to say, yes. yeah. At some point um, we're well, no, strict, Tim Roth. strictly speaking. Here we go. Strictly we speaking, go. I did it uh, four times because uh, I did it a show... Do you, do you know who Richard Whiteley is? 
Richard Whiteley mm. was a host of a show called Countdown. Um, okay. Words and numbers. Okay. Is it letters and numbers? Yeah. Yeah. Words and, yeah. yeah. So yes, 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 yes. Richard Whiteley had a chat show on uh, on regional television, which I was a, I was a guest on in. 97, I think it was. It's the first chat show I ever did. And the great news is you could do your hands blicks gear then and now. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, yeah. Same stuff. All comes round. And then the other guest was uh, disgraced children's entertainer, um, Rolf Harris. You did right? a show with Rolf Harris back in the day. Did a, did a show with Rolf Harris, yeah. And he um, <laughs> put wait for it, right? So afterwards, uh, after the show it was filmed up in Leeds, so after the show, um, you know, we were all sort of in the green room or whatever. And um, I said, oh, I've, you know, because the show had run late, so I'd missed my train. And the production staff said, well, we're not getting you a car. We're not getting, a, we're not getting you a car to London because you are nothing. And, um, and Rolf said, uh, he said, oh, where, uh, whereabouts in London do you live? I said, oh, I'm, uh, North London. And he said, well, uh, he goes, um, we've got a car taking us back. He goes... I can't drop you at your house, but I'll drop you off, you know, on the outskirts of London somewhere, because he lived out west there. He said, jump in the car. So me, Rolf Harris, his driver, and his didgeridoo player, um, we uh, we drove from Leeds to London, and Rolf spent the entire journey telling me some of the filthiest jokes <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life, one of which involved a dog... Going to need to put a, a language warning yeah. on this one for anyone that's yep. got uh, children. Okay. All you need to know is the punchline is fuck no, I'm getting my nails trimmed. Well, we've invented a new segment. We provide a punchline, <laughs> and then you, listener on social media, provide us the joke before it. You provide the setup. We provide punchlines, you provide setups. <laughs> and, and the one legged jockey said, Don't look at me, I'm riding side saddle. There's a segment. There's a good segment. Filthy jokes all the way to London. And um, so, yeah, so I did. So, got Cliff Richards. How did he lead off? Do you want to hear a joke or did he just start? Oh, no, he was just, he was just, you know, obviously just uh, just chatting away. And then I think he was like, oh, you know, uh, comedy. Oh, I like a bit of comedy. So, I think it was. Gotcha. You're a comedian. I like comedy. You know, And uh, And to be fair, we stopped at the motorway services. And the entire service station, it was like being with Elvis. The entire service station completely stopped. And then he went up to the counter. He asked the woman for a cup of tea. And the woman stared at him. And after about a minute, he went, tea? And she went, oh, yeah, sorry. And then we went, <laughs> and then it was just, uh, that was probably the first time I was surrounded by anyone who was, because let's not forget, before he, uh, before. No, no, no. Before it all came to light, he was incandescently famous as was big he not? as as a-list as you could get certainly in the uk yep. and that you know and being in a, a motorway service station albeit at midnight on the outskirts of leeds was still you know i suppose it would be like going to a walmart with elvis you know can i give a plug quickly because you put me onto it that made me think of a fantastic thing that you put me onto uh stephen toast the order, his um, audio book of his own autobiography, yes. Toast on yeah, Toast, brilliant. is a must download from Audible or wherever you get them. Rossi, you put me onto it. I've listened to it's it great. twice. There, uh, he tells a fake Rolf Harris story in that, which made me think of it. But Matt Berry, it's so great. Incredible. If you like the Alan Partridge ones, then... There you go, which I love phenomenal. deeply. And Alan has a new one coming out uh, 3rd of September on Audible. I'm sorry. Sorry, and. 
that's the 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 hunt coming through. That's my ringtone, but it's a it's a hunting horn. It just sounded oh, like it? a thousand beagles were about to come through. Anyway, so <laughs> a thousand beagles. A thousand, a thousand beagles. Where I used to live in the UK, there was a local hunt, and I would sometimes be out riding my dirt bikes in the field, and then like twenty beagles would come, a fox would run through, <laughs> and uh, a fox would run through, and then the uh, but they knew we didn't let them on our land, you know. So like the fox used to come on our land and just sit there, and you'd see all these hunters come up, and then <laughs> and I'd go, he went that way. And then <laughs> so hang on a sec, you, it's your discretion whether or not they're allowed to come on yeah, your land. And, and strictly speaking, you're supposed to, because um, they go up the bridleways and stuff, and there's a, I think there's some sort of ancient thing where they have complete rights over That's like, what I all thought. the landowners yeah. and stuff. But uh, no, no, nowadays you can, uh, they're not allowed to uh, hunt with dogs anymore. They're not allowed to. Oh, so the beagles are out of work? It's, yeah, but they still do. They still, so, go on. I tell you what, the thing, I mean, you know, people might be listening to this ear pods in while they're on a hunt and, oh, yeah. and, you know, if they are fair play, you know, whatever. But my problem with the hunt has always been, it's just over resource. Yeah. You've got 50 beagles, 30 blokes, 20 horses for one fox. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's not a fair fight. That's why I've often thought if I had uh, Bruce Wayne style money, I would make an animatronic um, fox, and um, and yeah, that would be. And then you go right. Who actually wants to hunt? <laughs> yeah, because exactly. this bloke's because this bloke's got his own. This bloke can fire back. Yeah, you've just you've just you know what you just did then. Go on. You just got a million dollars from Blumhouse to make a film oh, in England. Yes. Oh yeah. You oh. just got yourself a cool millie. You got yourself a millie. Hunt sab. Let me write that. Because the hunt saboteur, hunt saboteuring is a big thing in um, in the UK. You know, like like, um, and then they ban fox hunting, but they still they still go out there. Yeah. So basically, he's like a kind of a Rambo figure. Who? Um, oh, this is it. Here we go. He was raised by foxes. Love it. He was raised by right. Here it is. Right as a baby. On a picnic, baby goes missing, right? Dingo stole my baby style. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Let's not forget that um, Australia's sweetheart, Glenn Robbins, is in the film Evil Angels with Meryl Streep. Is he? A fact that I reminded him of that he had forgotten. But let's keep moving. That's incredible. As, as one of the Dingoes? Yes, he plays Dingo um, too. The, I love the fact that whenever people talk about Meryl Streep, they always go, she's the greatest actor in the world and she can do any accent. And yet, if you ask any right. Australian... There is there is almost Dick Van Dyke levels right. of anger about just going. That is the worst on the Van Dyke ever. scale of accents. It's oh, it's a nine, yeah. and that's why I always say when people bang on about Meryl Streep can do anything, I can say, well, she can do anything except this two hours of absolute garbage. <laughs> yeah, but I've heard interviews with people going, she can transform. You know, when she was in Australia, she became an Australian. And you go, you might want to run that past the Australians. Yeah, I reckon maybe there'll be you 15 know. million of us who may not have agreed with that. Uh, family's on a picnic. Foxes take the baby, right? They think they've eaten it, but they, like raised by wolves in the in the woods, right? So he becomes a sort of a, a Grace, a Lord Greystoke, Mowgli, uh, Peter the Wild type figure, right? And then... Uh, so he's a wild boy, and then the um, the hunt tries. The hunt comes through, kills his family. Touch of the Lion King's about you know father's death and all that. He's not responsible. But then 
he decides to, um, uh, he teams up with hunt saboteurs and says, let's not just stop them hunting the fox. Let's not just stop them hunting my people, but let's take them all down. Oh, goodness me. Blumhouse, yeah. there's a Millie. That's a Millie you for what. you, my friend. I'll tell you what, I know what I'm doing this after. Yeah, I tell you what. <laughs> Texting <laughs> saying, I know you said no, but I've got another option for you here. <laughs> I want to throw something at you just quickly because they yes. don't do this yep. anymore and they should. Um, yeah. Isabel Lucas, the Australian ethereal actress who's now oh, a bit on the nose, a bit too anti vaxxy, a bit too. Oh, she's ethereal. Yeah, though. ethereal. Very to look ethereal. at, ethereal as, right? I was uh, I was on the popular television program, you know, the Rove program. Yeah, hit me. She was at the other guest with me on there once, Boom. many, many years ago, and she was a lot. She was a lot younger then, like a gossamer thread wow. blowing in a light breeze. Yep. That's how she came across. But anyway, yes, she's a bit anti-vaxxy. So when she started on Home and Away, uh, the popular program, she was spotted, you know, the old thing. Yes. She was seen in a shopping centre in Queensland by one of the producers, I believe. I think it was Queensland. I want to say Queensland. Disgusting. And said, jeez, I know exactly. And said, oi, you act? No. You sure? No. They were that desperate to get her on the show that she did the, we found her in the somewhere, she doesn't speak. And she spent six weeks not speaking on Home and Away while she was, quote, learning to act on the job. Wow. And so, oh, so hang on. So what the, the, the story was is that she couldn't speak. But yeah. But it was like alluding to the idea that she maybe have got some wolf raising or where was she from and that, that type of thing. Oh, it's a shame she wasn't... Uh Shame it wasn't neighbours because then she could have been raised by Bouncer and his family. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how. That's the link. That's how you get her into the show. She just raised she, by you, you find you find her on all fours yeah. eating dog food out of the out of Joe Mangle's back garden, <laughs> and they just go, "Why is there this? Why is there an incredibly beautiful young girl eating dog food?" And they just go, oh, "I don't know." It's Bouncer just came back with her. Um. So, uh, so Terry Gilliam was, uh, yeah, he was very drunk, right? Good. He's very drunk, and um, this is. Can I just say, I I'm very aware that you are now putting me in a position where I sound like honestly, if I've I'm coming across like Peter Ustinov, I'm literally you're not, uh, but no, I'm not because I'm not as a, no, because your stories aren't like that i know name droppers we've all deal, dealt with name droppers and the point of normal name dropping is that you're somehow trying to elevate yourself to some status through association or some weird thing well you're always doing the opposite you're saying oh and then i couldn't get a train back because they wouldn't give me any money for train fare or they wouldn't give me a car back to london so i had to get in the car and listen to the filthy jokes <laughs> so myself and uh <laughs> So myself, so anyway, so I, uh, so I'm doing a warm up on this show now. As I explained to you last time, doing warm up, you are the lowest of the low. You this are is what I'm saying. Your you stories are, all start with I no, was doing warm up. It's impossible to na be a name dropper if your stories start with so I was doing audience fair, warm up. Fair so um, after the show, I picked my moment. I waited. You just you don't want to be a pain in the ass, right? That's th that's the, ultimately. In life, you just don't want to be the pain Fair in play. the house. Right? So, I, so I go up to him, I say, uh, uh, excuse me, Mr. Gilliam, I was very surprised, I said, uh, excuse me, Mr. Gilliam, um, I'm really sorry to bother you, I would. I know this is uh, probably um, uh, not very professional, but uh, right. my name's Ross, I do the warm-up on the show um, for the audience and stuff, um, I was wondering... Would it be possible? I'm a huge fan of your movies. I've seen all of your films. Smart. 
Um, I didn't go the Python route. I didn't. No, go, no, that's smart. That, you, that's, it's so yeah. smart. And and the thing is, and that's true. You know, I wasn't falling over him because he was a Python. That's mm. genuinely one of my favorite directors, Sarah. Huge fan. Um, please would you sign? Please would you sign this? So I had him think, and and I had a pen ready as well. I what didn't, poster? Uh, what was it? Uh, Brazil or time? F- uh, fear that fear and loathing. It was because oh, he was. Yeah, he was, man. He was promoting fear. Yes. And Actually, now I come to think of it, I said last time my last warm up was was in two thousand. I think I think that might have been. It was up in Edinburgh because basically it was like it was a, a it was an art show. So I yeah. think I think that might have been my last warm. I think could it be oh. two thousand and two or three maybe so were you doing or edinburgh gigs at night and yeah, then doing yeah, yeah. during and the I, day sort I, of thing and i just did that for a bit of cash you know uh when did well if it was fear, if it no 98 was it was so that fear and loathing came out in 98 yeah, yeah. yeah all right well there you go so that was not yeah 1998 so uh so i had the i knew he was going to be on i'd got the press thing i got him to sign it uh, again destroyed in the fire oh um, <laughs> so i said uh sign this please and he looked at me and he went, do you run the show? And I went, I was oh, that's a bit of a weird question. And he went, do you run the show? I went, um, I, uh, no, no, I, I'm the audience warm up. I just, you know, I get the audience going. And he went, oh, warm up. And yeah. And he went, well, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was very drunk. Well, fuck off. And I said, uh, I said, uh, "Oh, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Please, just sign it." And I just, and I just went. Oh, you stood no. your ground. I stood my ground. I just because he was drunk, and I think, and and I looked at it and I went, "No, that is that is a joke." And I thought, "Yes, I'm yes, gonna, I'm going to hedge my bets here." And I and I went, uh, "I said, oh, I'm not going to fuck off. Just so, just sign it, and I'll go." And he went, "Okay, man." And then he signed it. Yes. And then, uh, yeah. And then up until I lost everything I own in a house fire, I had a sign very Um But I tell uh, you what, man, standing your ground after a fuck off is a yeah, yeah. is a that's a good but, one. But but what was good was is he was so drunk that I just figured that like if I ever meet him again, he won't remember that. No, he, God he won't, no. He won't even remember one. He wouldn't remember me. He wouldn't remember the show. I don't even know if he'd remember the actual city that he was in at ah, the time. Ah, he'd ah. certain he'd been doing a lot of. Uh, and I think because him and a lot Johnny of press, were, yeah, I think because they were doing a lot of press together as Ooh, well. Johnny, was, yeah. So yeah. Um, let me see. So which other Python? So yeah. So so um, Terry Jones met him briefly once uh, at a BBC thing. Absolutely lovely man. Um, and John Cleese, I was in Montreal doing the Montreal Comedy Festival, and uh, we John Cleese was hosting. Uh, a gala that I was yeah, uh, that I was on, right? So there was there was me and a whole load of other acts, and uh, we went up to uh, to Toronto, and we did a couple of nights at Massey Hall in Toronto, the big the big fancy venue up there. Cleese was doing the uh, was was hosting the show, oh. and then um, we are really going to run out of time. No, we are. Literally. We already have. But, but this is it. This got, is our this is our closer, yeah, which is a lot of fun. We have Got but I've got to do a David Bowie. I've got. I need forty seconds for a David Bowie bombshell. Okay, cool. So just yeah, we'll do this and All then right. a David Bowie bombshell, and then Shania next week. So we did Massey Hall, Toronto, 
John Cleese did that. You know, he, he hosted the two shows. We get down to now. He he was doing this because this was when he had he was in the midst of his divorce. You yes, know? the alimony so tour. He, he was he was you know the big joke was oh I'm doing it for the money. Yeah. He really was yeah. doing it for the money. So we get to we get to Montreal. He's, and and so we've had a couple of nights up there to, for him to bed in his stuff and all the rest of it. We get to Montreal the day of the gig. We get a call through saying Cleese has gone to hospital. Cleese is, he's out of action. He's got some sort of, uh, I think some sort of prostate flare up or something. I don't know, but it was, but it was basically he, he's not doing the gig. Lewis Black is going to stand in and do the gig instead of him. Right now, uh, I wasn't sure whether or not he, because bear in mind, there's a theatre full of Python fans, right? Mm -hmm. And by this point, you know, he hadn't worked live for mm. years mm. and years and years. No mm. one had seen him live. Mm. Um, comedy fans, obviously, it's Montreal, so you've got comedy fans. You've yeah. got uh, you've got a theatre full of Python fans. They didn't find out that he wasn't mm. going to be on until they sat in their seats. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, this evening's performance. Oh, so like, no. So, like, yeah, so Lewis Black, right, who... Oh, Lewis... Now, don't get me wrong, right? Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah, um, come on. <laughs> Shania, sing it. Um, like, Lewis is, like, live, absolutely, like, you mm. can't, like, mm. you can't touch him, you know. Uh, he was over, we did some gigs in uh, uh, the Kilkenny Comedy Festival. Um, so, I was thinking, I was looking at it going, this is fine. After two minutes, I think what would have happened is, if Cleese had gone on, it would have been two minutes of like hysteria, and then yeah. after three minutes, the audience would have been like, "You know what? Can we?" Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, what, Let's keep it going. Yeah. What? 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 Let's see what yeah, else we got. Yeah. What you got? You know. And, yeah. uh You know, Cleese. You know, he's you can't. He, you know, he's he's up there, but you know, he's you know, Lewis Black's. He's alive. Yeah, it's about match fitness. Exactly. It's about, you know, Cleese hasn't been rolling the arm over, but he's still a legend where Black is coming in match fit. Exactly, exactly. So the audience, now you've never heard such disappointment in the room. When they said Jesus that, Christ. And then um, now the thing is, I was contractually obliged to do these galas, right? I was doing my own show. Right, like, but they were um, part of... Right, yeah, okay. I don't. Um, I've never been any good. I know it's hard to believe. I've never been very good at doing a short set. You joke. <laughs> it's hard to believe. You're not. So, um, so I'm backstage and I was sort of like talking to some of the other comics, and they're all like, going, "What are you going to do? Like, yeah. what are you going to do?" They're worried about their time. <laughs> I'm just going like, Rrr. so I walk out on stage, and I go, uh, "Well, it's." Um, it's a shame about John, isn't it? Going to hospital, right? And the the room, everyone's like, "What the hell?" And I went, "Yeah." I said, uh, "You know, he's he's rushed to hospital earlier on, and uh, word is he's all right. It's, you know, it's fine." I said, "Cause uh, imagine how bad that would be if he died, oh. and the whole and the room was literally like silent." Wow. I thought, hold your nerve, hold your nerve, right? And I just went, you can imagine it, can't you? He's lying there on the gurney. They're working away on his heart. They're pumping away and they're going, clear the area, clear the area. John Cleese, is, it's John Cleese. He's, clear the area, he's, he's dead. And he's not dead, he's resting. <laughs> what do you mean he's resting? He's, he's dead, mate. He's demised. He is no more. You know he's not. Anyway, so I launch into the dead, dead John Cleese sketch and you just go, look at him. 
He just moved. No, he didn't. You de- you defibrillated him. Defibrillated him. What did you? Look at him. He's painting for the comedy festival. He's painting for the gala. Painting for the gala. Painting for the gala. He's no more. He is no longer funny. He is bereft. He is bereft of entertainment. Right. So this literally it went, and I'm thinking, come on, let play. Of course, they're all Python fans. It's- Every single one, and it went. Hey! Of course, it did, <laughs> so mate. I, well done. That is the so, highest of wire acts. That so I fannied about for a bit. So I did that, fannied about, and then just went. Oh, I've run out of time. See ya. And I walk off right, and I walk into the backstage area, and uh, the <laughs> and I walk into the backstage area, and there are. People that work for Just for Laughs, there are like managers, there's just industry people filling the corridors because they all watch on the screens backstage. And I walk into the backstage area and there is complete silence. And there's just faces of management and faces of like industry people looking at me going, you have literally just thrown, you have literally just thrown away your chance to make a, some sort of, like, looking at really? me like, why would you do that when, you know, because everyone's there going, I'll do me five minutes, and this is Yeah, but hang on, why? Why, they, why is that their attitude? Yeah, because it used to be you'd go to Montreal if you had a five-minute set where you absolutely ripped it apart. You know, like Tim Allen got signed up to do. Right, right, right. You know, that was the But 90s, why did they you know, think that your what you did was somehow, like, going to hurt those could, chances? But, because you you go there and you go, this is the thing that I do, and then this is how you, know, you see what I mean. Yeah, it's I see like, what you mean. You sort you don't you sort you of package yes, right. you package okay, yourself okay, okay. up and you present. So it's sort of in spite um, of whatever the circumstances are, you go out and you do the thing that you do as a showcase. You ignore the circumstances exactly. rather than embrace them. Yeah, exactly. So uh, anyway, so there was just complete silence and look, and it's the only time in my in my life, and certainly um, uh, in. Like I, th- I think any time outside of a film where I heard somebody go, a slow clap, <laughs> slow clap, and then the comics that were backstage went, Way! of course they did, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, and then I walked over to my mate who was there, and he just, he just was laughing, and he just said, you cheeky, c word, and then uh, I went, it's funny, wasn't it? And he went, yep, yeah, that's right, Russ. <laughs> and you know what, Cleese would, I bet you Cleese would have loved it. That's his bag. Well, what happened? Who was it? The um, there was a promoter who works with one of the other pythons. Um, he was backstage, and he came over and he said, um, oh, "I've texted Eric. I'll tell him that uh, what happened." And he went, uh, "All of the other living pythons have been informed." Oh, <laughs> and that's where we'll leave it today. <laughs> Literally, just going, never guess what some cheeky bastards did. Because that's their spirit. They would have loved it. All right, we got to wrap it up. We'll do Shania next time. Or look, this is very, very, this is very. Uh, but look, Modern Love, the classic David Bowie song from 1981 or 1982. Yeah. I watched the film clip uh, the other day, Don't Ask Why, and I found out that in that film clip it's like a concert film clip and that David Bowie's backup dancers invented uh, the, the dabbing, that awful thing that went around the world a few years ago, dabbing. They invented it. That's all we'll say. We'll put up a link. Amazing. And next time, we promise we will do... We definitely Sh- do. We'll do Shania Twins. That don't impress me much. Until then... Goodbye. 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 <laughs>